Amen. Um, God, God was really good this past week. Uh, Wednesday, Wailuku got together, and it was the first time that they got together in person since COVID. Yeah, that's the first time, right? And uh, there was a great group that turned out. Um, Pastor Lance said that it was much more than he had faith for. And so, uh, and, and Zach said the same thing, and he, they were so encouraged by Wailuku. Could we give God a hand for, uh, for that? Um, we're in the middle of a series called The Creed, and what we're doing is we're going, uh, we've been saying the Apostles' Creed every single week for the past year, over a year now, and we're diving into the Apostles' Creed line by line and sharing uh, what the significance is and how, uh, how the forefathers of our faith came to this creed to uh, articulate the belief that we have in God. Um, Pastor Zach shared last week. Um, and I'm going to share this week. I'm kind of going to give an overview of why the creed, or parts, why, why parts of the creed were made. And, um, and hopefully I'll do a good job with that. Why don't you guys stretch your hands out. Say, God help him. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the house. Could we give the mothers a hand? Um, mothers do way more than they get appreciation for. How many would agree to that? Um, they have carried us in their womb for nine months, taken care of us, fed us, gave us lickings when we needed lickings. Uh, they, they are the foundation of our homes uh, for many of us. And uh, we just want to say happy Mother's Day and thank you for putting up with all of us, uh, your kids and your husbands, for as many years as you have. Um, how many of you know that a lot of times it's very easy to ignore, not ignore, but just not notice what goes into uh, putting a stable family and a home together? How many of you understand that that's, that's the case? Um, when I grew up, I just thought every home was like our home, and I remember going to school uh, for the first time. I went to Kalui School because I was going through uh, Doris Todd and Emmanuel Lutheran, and I finally went to a public school at eighth grade. Nothing against public school. I love public school, taught in a public school, but uh, it was my first time being around kids that were not Christian, and uh, they were saying words that I never heard before, and uh, and we're talking about their parents doing things that I never heard of before. And, and uh, I remember we were sitting in a sex ed class, and my sister was telling us that she was sitting in sex ed class, and they were talking about sex, and, and uh, she raised her hand. And she said, uh, that's not possible because they're not married yet. And then everybody started laughing at her because she never had encountered something that was different from her culture. And one of the things growing up in church is that we don't have an appreciation for the culture that has been created of the Catholic Church. And when I say Catholic, it's not the Roman Catholic Church, but the universal church. It's the, the church that, that exists anywhere that you go in the world that believes in Jesus Christ and is his church. That's the Catholic Church. So when we say the creed and we say the Catholic Church, it's not the Roman Catholic Church. It's the universal church of God. 
And the Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church kind of stole that term. And uh, some people said, when we say the creed, we should say a different, we should say the universal church. And I said, no, we should say Catholic church because that's what it means. And just because it was hijacked doesn't mean that we can't hijack it back. So that's the reason why we, we say that. Um, but growing up in, in church, how many of you have grown up in church? How many of you know that a lot of times when you grow up in church, you don't appreciate the church culture because you've never been outside of church culture? Um, my, my daughter, she, she brought a friend over because her friend had a lot of questions about why Alexis believes what she believes. And so her friend was asking all these questions. And I, I looked at Alexis and I said, can't you answer these questions? And she said, no, I've never thought about those questions before. I just assumed all of that stuff that you were saying was right. <laughs> and, and I remember going to college and, and, and hearing different philosophies and different things for the first time and really having to wrestle and think through why I believe what I believe. And so um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to go through just some of the, the, the questions that are behind the Apostles' Creed when it comes to Jesus. Uh, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's the first line. And then there's four lines that it closes with that talks about the Holy Ghost, the church, forgiveness of sin, everlasting life. But sandwiched in between those, the first phrase and the last four sentences, it's all about Jesus Christ. It all talks about who he is. Can we read that read together as a church family this morning? One, two, three. And in Jesus Christ his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into hell and on the third day rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. One of the things about reciting the Apostles' Creed is saying something that we all believe in, but that is very impossible to believe. You know, Zach was saying, there's no way that you can believe this stuff, or there's no way that you can reason that these things are true. If you, there was a scientific revolution that happened several hundred years ago, and with that scientific revolution came the scientific method, understanding that the world has, has form, that the world has reason, that we could figure, that everything is governed by natural law, and that we can figure things out. And so science uh, exploded. We started learning about our world, and with learning about our world, we were able to manipulate it and actually make it better. How many of you would agree with that? And what happened during the scientific revolution, lots of the people who were uh, the forefathers of the the scientific revolution, Newton, uh, Pascal, they were great physicists, but they were also believers because when you get to the depth of the things that they're looking at, it just made sense that there was a creator. So a lot of the forefathers of science are also uh, believers in, in a creator, believers in God. And one of the things that happened during that time was religious leaders tried to explain the faith through science. And there's no way that you can explain a God that creates things through his breath. There's no way that you can explain a virgin giving birth. There's no way that you can explain God taking human form and then dying and resurrecting. How many would agree with that? That there's no scientific explanation for that. 
And I was thinking about that this, this, this week because I don't like to believe in things that, I, that there is no reason for. It doesn't make sense to me. And so I, I was thinking through that, and, uh, and would you like to know what I came out with? <laughs> I, uh, I wrote this. It's, it's in your notes. I thought that it was brilliant. <laughs> um, Faith is not rational, but it is reasonable. Faith is not rational, but it is reasonable. The premise of rationality is that I'm able to think through it and to understand it. Would you agree with that? The premise of faith is that on my own, I cannot understand it unless it's revealed to me. Does that make sense? Okay. God is rational. God is rational. Some people would argue God is not. We can see that he's rational through his creation. And we can understand his creation because they abide by the laws of nature. Because his creation is rational, we know that the creator is also rational. How many would agree with that? But just because God is rational does not mean that he is governed by what he has created. Does that make sense? Doesn't mean that he's governed by his creation. Just because God is rational does not mean he's governed by what he created. God can function outside of the realms of rationality. How many would agree with that? To think otherwise is irrational. So if you think that God can only abide by the laws that he created, that's actually irrational. Faith says that God created a realm of rationality but is not governed by it. To believe that God sometimes operates outside the realm of rationality is reasonable. Everyone say reasonable. Isn't that reasonable? Don't you think that's reasonable? To believe that the God who is rational can operate outside of the realms of rationality? That's a reasonable thought, right? So faith is reasonable, but it's not rational. That's awesome, right? <laughs> when he operates outside of rationality, it's only understood through faith. When he operates outside the realms of rationality, it's only understood through, everyone say it? Faith. faith. And it is only understood through what he decides to reveal and that is why faith is reasonable, but it is not rational. Faith is very reasonable. I think there, there isn't anything more reasonable than faith. Because if God made the rational world, he can out, operate outside of it. And when he operates outside of it, he reveals it to his creation. And so when we say these creeds, we are saying it with faith that supersedes rationality, but it is very reasonable because we believe in a God who operates outside of rationality. Is that good? <laughs> Faith is not stupid. Faith makes a lot of sense when you take time to think it out. So the creed, the creed is, is actually 
a compilation of 400 years of deep, disciplined thought of the forefathers of our faith. And when they wrote these words in red about Jesus Christ and all of these different things about Jesus Christ, they actually originated from questions that were asked and heresies that were formed in good intention to figure out what the faith was. So this morning, I want to talk about four heresies. Everyone say heresy. Okay, now heresy sounds bad, but actually heresy was a result of people struggling with really hard questions for a really long period of time coming out with answers that were wrong. And then they were labeled heresy, but they had every intention of, of really understanding who Jesus Christ was. But there's four heresies that I want to talk about this morning. Docetism, everyone say docetism. Arianism, everyone say Arianism. Apollinarianism, try that one. And then Nestorianism, Nestorianism. Okay, so, so we're going to go through that really quickly. We're not going to spend the whole time on that, but uh, I want you to understand how these different questions came about. So when we say, are you guys awake? Because this isn't like making anyone fall asleep, right? This is appreciating the forefathers' work of our faith that we enjoy. Because when you read that, when you see Jesus Christ is only son, our Lord, there could be a question like, did Jesus, if Jesus was a son, could he have more than one son? The Holy Spirit like, gave birth to one person. Couldn't he give birth to more than one? That's what we understand. Do you ever think about that? No, because the forefathers of the faith spelt it out for us, and that's what we believe. But there are questions. How many sons can God have? If he's God, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Raise your hand if you believe Jesus Christ is God. How many believe he's not God? Okay, you're in the right place. <laughs> if you believe Jesus Christ is God, then could he be man? Yeah, you say yes. But back then, when, Jesus, when it first came out, nobody said yes right away because God was God. And how could God become man? Okay, here's another one. If he was human, how could he have been God? If Jesus is really man, could he, how, how could he have been God? And you just think, oh, yeah, that, I just believe that. How come? Because the Bible tells me so. Because we, we're surrounded by people that believe the same thing. Um, if he was part God and part man, which, one was, which, which part was God and which part was man? Was his mind God and his body man? You guys ever think about these questions? No? Because we just believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, that we're under him. You know, we say these things, but, and we don't give it any thought, the questions. If God was God, could he suffer? Can God suffer? A lot of people thought he couldn't suffer and made arguments that God could not suffer. Um, could God die? There is, there is beliefs that Jesus Christ, if he was God, could not die. Therefore, when he was up on the cross and he stopped breathing and his heart stopped, that it was just a pause, but he was still alive. And that was a doctrine that was in the church for many years. Did you guys know that? These are all things that the forefathers struggled with 
for 400 years, and they, they came together in councils to agree upon what we now know as the Apostles' Creed. So this all started with Jesus Christ saying, who do you think I am? And Peter said, I believe that you're the Son of God. Let's read this together. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It goes back to that faith thing. We can't rationally think of things, but it's revealed from God. And that's what Jesus said. Nobody can figure this stuff out, but my Father revealed it to you. That was the first revelation. So the first revelation was Jesus was the Son of God. So once people saw that he came back to life, the first heresy that took place after that was if Jesus is the Son of God, it was docetism. So docetism believed that if Jesus was God, then he could not have been man. He was ethereal and could not be flesh. The problem was that if he was not man, he could not have sanctified humanity. So John resolves this by, in John 1.14 by saying this. Let's read the scriptures together. One, two, three. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So now it was decided that, yes, Jesus was the Son of God, and he wasn't just God, but he was man. So then there was another question that was answered by Arianism. Arianism believed that if Jesus did come in the flesh, he could not fully be God and must have been created by God. The most recent form of this belief is Jehovah Witness. So Jehovah Witness believes that Jehovah is God and that God, Jehovah, created Jesus, and because Jesus is a created being, he cannot be worshipped. So that's the most recent. And the first uh, ecumenical council of Nicaea, 325 AD, resolved this by declaring that Jesus was uncreated. Everyone say uncreated, that he was divine and he was God. Let's read the scripture together from Colossians 1, 2, 3 that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist." And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence, Colossians 1.15. So if he was fully God and fully man, then the next heresy that came out of the church was Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism believed that if God did come in the form of God, then his mind was the mind of God, but his flesh was the flesh of man. Doesn't that kind of make sense? <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Ivan says no. The problem with this thought is that if he didn't have the thoughts of man, 
then he was not tempted in the same way that we were. And the second ecumenical council in Constantinople that happened in 381 AD declared that Jesus was fully God. Everyone say fully God and fully man. Let's read the scripture together. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. And then the last heresy that we're going to talk about this morning is necessitarianism. So necessitarianism believed that if Jesus was fully God and fully man, and it wasn't the mind of of God and the body of man, then there had to have been two natures that were separated into two sons in the same body. You never heard that one before, right? This was resolved in the third and fourth ecumenical council in 431 AD and 451 AD, declaring that Jesus had two natures, the a nature of humanity, but also the nature of God in one son and one person. Everyone say one son and one person. One begotten of the Father. So let's read John 1.14, the count of three. One, two, three. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there are many beliefs that believe that Jesus was one of many sons. Um, and I think there's a picture that I, I don't know. Do you guys have that? You guys don't have that? Okay. Um, but there are, uh, Mormonism is one that believed that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers and that God had more than one son and they wrestle with each other. Uh, that is a product of necessitarianism and uh, that was settled in the third and fourth council of, uh, of the church. We can, so what I want to do, I want to read this together, the Apostles' Creed. I want to end this morning by saying the Apostles' Creed, but I also want to share with you a testimony of somebody in our congregation. So can we read this at the count of three? Let's all stand, or actually stay seated, because we're going to have a... Uh, <laughs> Let's read this at the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints, in the forgiveness of sin, in the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Can we have uh, Micah Sato come up? Um, where's Micah Sato? In the back. Oh. Can you guys give a hand for Mike? In, in the early church, the disciples didn't argue and give proof that Jesus resurrected from the dead. They claimed his resurrection. They didn't prove it. 
And in the same way, we don't claim the resurrection of Christ, or we don't prove the resurrection of Christ, but we can claim it through the lives that have been changed. How many of you know people whose lives have unmistakably been, been changed and transformed through Christ? How many, your life has been changed and transformed through Christ? And um, I asked Mike to share uh, what his life was before Christ, how he came to know Christ, and, and the perfect person that he is now. So, um. Thank you. Uh, thank you, sir. Happy Mother's Day to all. Um, well, let me see. In the beginning, uh, well, it started off when I was, um, when we were young, we, um, we attended church, but it didn't, didn't dawn on me um, the principles and the promises that of what God has for us. And the example that uh, my mom did, once she got saved, she led by example, meaning that uh, I never could understand why she didn't give me lickings. I mean, she left it up to her other kids, but you know, she always, she always tried to correct me with a with a soft voice and a quiet answer. And I would see her uh, praying and keeping her Bible open, and she always would tell me, you know, I don't think you should be doing that, or reminding me that. You know, I'm, I'm still praying for you despite you being the way you are. <laughs> but, um, and after a while, you know, it dawned on me that it's because of the example that she's been that we can come and accept Jesus Christ in our hearts personally. And try to gain the wisdom and the knowledge that my mom bestowed upon us. You know, and it, it came through uh, a lot of tears, I know, and suffering because, you know, let's face it, all our moms, they, they wear like about a dozen hats or so. And it's amazing that um, the Lord gives them the strength the wisdom and the guidance that uh, they can they can project to us, you know. And I really appreciate uh, her life. And I'm the youngest of five kids, and my siblings always tell me I was spoiled, but I don't know. I got the most lickings all the time, <laughs> but. But, you know, it, it was um, great that um, he allowed my mom to live to 99. And it, it gave me great pleasure. After I retired, um, we had to put her in a, a care home. 
but I had the opportunity to go and see her every day. Um, and, you know, that was, that was a blessing to me. And to really tell her how much I appreciated her. I mean, dementia set in, and sometimes she didn't know who I was, but what the heck? <laughs> God knew who she was. And, and you know, uh, you know, for the, for the moms here, uh, I just thank you. Thank you for uh, being who you are and what you represent. And there's an there's a old chorus that uh, we used to sing for our mothers. Uh, it spells out mother, but the, let, me, let me just read it to you. I know, I know Mr. Pagaduan knows this song, Edwin, but it, it's, I'm not going to sing it because I don't have a good voice. <laughs> M, it goes like this. M is for <clears throat> the million things she gave me. Always that she's only growing old. T is for the tears. She said she shed to save me. H is for her heart that's pure as gold. C is for her eyes with love light shining. R is right and right she'll always be. Put them all together, they spell mother, a word that means a world to me. And with that, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with one of the um, scriptures that is close to my heart and was to hers. It's in Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when they're old like us, it'll never depart. God bless. That's awesome. Happy Mother's Day. That was, that was great. Thanks, Uncle Mike. Um, you know, one of the things that my professor, uh, my professor said, he said that the greatest apologetic or the greatest proof of the Christian faith is how you live your life. And in America, the general consensus is, I see the way that you treat your family, I see the way that you treat your kids, I see the way you treat your community, therefore, I believe that God is not real. And when you hear a testimony like Uncle Mike's, it's a testimony that somebody that can see us up close, somebody that that's, he saw his mother up close, and it completely changed his life where he believes in God and I believe that Grace Bible and the different churches on this island can be the apologetic or the proof of this creed that we say every week, that God is real and he does exist. When people look at our lives, that they'll be able to say, I see the way you treat your wife. I see the way you treat your husband. I see the way you treat your kids. I see the way that you love this community. And my conclusion is that there is a God. Amen.
Amen. We have a video that we want to show. Uh, we, we made this video last year for mothers, but we want to uh, just say thank you to the moms. And could we, could we play that video? Can we have a hand for all the moms? I'll stand and let's close in a word of prayer this morning. God, we just thank you so much for this beautiful morning that we can come and worship you. Uh, Lord, thank you for every parent that has been in our lives that has steered us closer to you and thank you for your grace that allows us to be parents that can help our children come to know you in a greater way. Lord, thank you for the forefathers of our faith that has that have created a culture that we can have faith in and believe in the revelation of who your son has been in the past, is now, and will be in the future. Lord, we thank you for, for who you are as a father to us and we give you praise. We pray that as we know more of your love, know more about your grace, know of your forgiveness and mercy in our lives, God, that we would be able to give that to our community and to the world around us, to be that apologetic, to be that proof to our community that you are real and to represent you well. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. We give you all the praise and all the glory.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.